Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. Alchemy is the victim of a serious smear campaign, and a successful one at that. Most people react to the idea somewhere along a continuum between greedy mercurial charlatans and proto-scientists waiting to be freed from their misconceptions by the Age of Enlightenment. And while both of these have some grains of truth, most good smear campaigns do, they both fall far short of both the depth and breadth of alchemy as a discipline and as a belief set. So, in the interests of clearing all of that up, let's begin. I'm here on HI101 with Kevin Miller. Hi. And uh, today we're going to be talking about alchemy. Yeah. I texted you and kind of went, hey, do you want to come on the show and what do you want to talk about? And I ended up <laughs> I ended up pitching this one to you in one word. And I said, I have no idea what the topic will be, but uh, I'll try to think of something. And then when I didn't, you gave me one word. Alchemy. And I said, yes, absolutely, I will do an episode on that. We've generally kind of stuck closer to the uh, the science topics, and I, I guess technically this kind of falls into that realm, but... <laughs> Certainly people thought it did for a long time. We're, we're also going to be getting into some, I don't want to necessarily call it heavy, but like some some complicated like philosophical and religious stuff in the course of this uh, oh, this topic. So it, it's going to be it's going to be a bit of a wild ride, but I'm very much excited or very much looking forward to doing this topic. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping in with both feet. So what is alchemy? <laughs> that is the title of my first section. What is alchemy? Alchemy is this semi-scientific, semi-magical art of transforming a substance into another, from what I understand. That is a part of it transmutation that that is that is a that's that's probably the most common like popular conception of what alchemy is is this whole you know somebody trying in the, to in the greater rpg sense there's also like potion making sure and like herbology yeah and and all of that is not necessarily a stretch to be honest with you um no the, the whole like oh it's it's somebody trying to turn lead into gold that's what they're trying to do yeah. here harry potter it's certainly the didn't hurt known the creator of the philosopher's stone yeah harry potter didn't hurt the whole idea of the philosopher's stone which i i personally know a number of people who had never heard of the philosopher's stone before uh it came up in harry potter and then they realized like oh no this is a thing that was taken from from this is weird for me because i i wonder if this is like a version of the mandela effect okay. where i had heard of the philosopher's stone before but mm -hmm. i read harry potter at like nine years old or 11 years old and i have no idea where i would have heard of it before then well i mean there's no reason you couldn't like have jrpgs or something i have I, no idea well the thing the thing about alchemy is that it captures the imagination of like popular history like very like 
like, like quite a bit because it does draw from so many aspects of um, philosophy and religion and and medicine mm-hmm. and uh, science and I, just everything, everything. So um, there's there's absolutely no reason to think that you hadn't heard of the Philosopher's Stone before Harry Potter. I, I couldn't tell you where exactly yeah, but it's not as though of ages. i have to imagine like there was some reference to it in chrono trigger or something like that yeah it's, it's not as though jk rowling found some like old manuscript and like blew the dust off of it and was like um, philosopher's stone injury this has never been used in popular fiction before <laughs> um yeah yeah no it's 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 all over the place but i mean again it's it's what is philosophy or what is alchemy ends up being like a really complicated question so the main the main concept that we're going to be going for here is this idea that it is possible to take virtually anything and purify it to an ideal state. Okay. And that's going to have very far reaching implications because you can take that argument and extend it ad nauseum. Uh, to oh, no. <laughs> virtually any uh, no we're not going to get into any like eugenic <laughs> oh, no. stuff or anything like that don't worry this is this is this is not going to be this is not going to be one of those episodes <laughs> damn it out of me tricked me <laughs> no it's 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 more that it was extended beyond the the physical to the the metaphysical the right. the the um spiritual so there's two main categories that we're going to be talking about that actually really often get separated out when people are talking about alchemy. The technical, so like the the actual physical um, side of things that would eventually way down the road end up kind of becoming chemistry. Right. And then the philosophical side of things, which, to be honest, gets left out of the equation quite often. And it sort of gets sidelined and, 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 and treated as its own sort of historical footnote a little bit i can i kind of can understand why i think (laughs) i i can as well because usually when people talk about alchemy we're talking about like the pseudoscience yeah but but like the history of science right and it is integral to the history of science because a lot of the things that are going to be developed under alchemy are absolutely essential to the study of chemistry right but I, the more I looked into this and, and, and tried to decide how to organize the show and how to organize my thoughts on all of this, the more I feel like it's really disingenuous to do it that way. And I don't think it's fair to you guys as, as listeners to do it that way. So we're going to be bouncing back and forth between like, you know, uh, people boiling mercury and sniffing the vapors and and these sort of really esoteric ideas about the natures of existence. Yeah, I know mercury captures a lot of imagination. <laughs> well, I, understandably so. Have you ever played with this stuff? No, I was the fear of it was put into me before I could ever play. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, we we were allowed to do so under like safe oh, uh, yeah. circumstances in school. You know, we were right. wearing gloves and everything. But it is there is something like kind of magical seeming about it. Like it just doesn't seem like it's something that should exist. It's not a state you normally see metal in. It's it's very understandable why people believed it to be uh, very magical. Right. But we're we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. We yes. will be talking about Mercury, but it's not going to play quite the central role that you would expect until uh, a little further down the line. There's also three main schools of alchemy dis- uh, 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 divided up more by geographical region than uh, than anything else. And we're going to be focusing on Western alchemy just to try and keep a lid on this whole thing. Yeah. Um, the, the other two being uh, Indian and Chinese. Right. Which very closely reflects a lot of the other categories that I've talked about in other topics, you know, like the medical topics and things like that, mm-hmm. where those three regions really kind of encapsulate 
three major centers of sort of scholarly knowledge uh, in the ancient world where there is some interplay between the three but because there's so there's such dominant cultures in each of those three yeah. regions well, that they much like you have like a western medicine and eastern medicine yeah exactly you and kind of their sciences are all sort of based around that same exactly and, and, and you get the you get the same division between the the greek and roman uh, medical uh, traditions versus ayurvedic medicine in, in right. india and the traditional chinese medicine in china for for a lot of this stuff a lot of that uh, medical knowledge is actually based in the same roots as alchemy, if not being considered a direct descendant or 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 school of alchemy in in those places. So, again, for for purposes of of just clarity and for uh, time management, we're yeah. going to stick with Western alchemy. Sounds good. Um, we'll we'll mention the other two here and there, but but uh, yeah. So, what is the main difference between alchemy and um, chemistry? Basically, is is another comment that kind of comes up fairly often. You look like you want to take a crack at it. <laughs> I, I might, this look on my face right now is if I did take a crack at it, I'd probably embarrass myself. Because, <laughs> I don't know, there, there are tricky things to define in a way that makes it sound distinct. Sure. I, I think that alchemy has sort of this, this uh, at least in my mind, this connotation of spiritualism and, you know, magical thinking. Mm -hmm. Whereas chemistry is much more based on sort of like this periodic table of elements where we can, you know, sort of categorize things as behaving in certain ways and predict them behaving in certain ways rather than just experimenting and hoping to get a result that isn't scientifically founded at all. Sure. That's that's a reasonable uh, take on things, but, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff from alchemy that will we'll kind of be surprised at just how uh, similar to chemistry it is. Like, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens really early on that we can't really separate from chemistry, right? Right. And it's not that alchemy is fully magical in its thinking, although that is a that is a big portion of it. But I think if you were to kind of distill everything down to its essence, it's that alchemy has an agenda. Yes. I was just going to say, if I could sum up, I think that like both of them have the same base, mm -hmm. which is there are physical things that we can see sort of interacting with each other in the world around us. Like we know... For a really basic example, we know that, you know, you get water cold and it freezes, you get sure. it hot and it evaporates. And yeah. this is like a thing that you can notice. But then the experimentation kind of branches from there where it's like in chemistry, you can be like, okay, well, how can we sort of predict what will happen with a substance when we apply this sort of uh, stimulus to it or this other chemical to it? Mm -hmm. Whereas alchemy is more like, okay, but what can I do? Like, how can I get gold on this? Right. It's like, like they're not looking to determine a result from a set of experimentation. Right. They're looking to find out the experiment that gets the result they want. Yeah. It's destination focus. Yeah, that's that's. I, I think that's a completely fair characterization. The thing that is really important to understanding the Greek world in general is that there is an obsession with the idea that there is order to the universe. And... In a lot of ways, this actually ends up running fairly counter to our ideas uh, or, or, or to what we've observed um, with modern science in that, in, in general, if anything, the universe seems to tend towards uh, chaos and... and uh, entropy. Well, entropy, yeah, is exactly <laughs> where I'm heading here, is, is this sort of uh, flat, least energetic state that is, is very uh, indistinct from, its, uh, from, from everything around it. Right. The Greek world, there's this idea... That's actually from from Aristotle in in uh, in origin, or at least he's he's the most 
well-known origin of it, it, it likely uh, existed in other forms before him as well, that, you know, there, there is, there is order to the universe and that everything is made up of these uh, four elements originally, the, the classic four earth, air, fire, water, and that these, these substances, these four original elements without any like external uh, forces applied to them will tend to return to their own separate spheres. Okay. And so there is kind of an idea of entropy a little bit, but that entropic behavior isn't towards this, this, um, this flat nothingness it's towards the sorting state, yeah. yeah it's it's sorting itself out into these four elements and this is like a this is a form of order that they're assuming about the universe that is going to be essential to all of their alchemic experiments because it's not just about the physical aspects of, of alchemy that they're that they're really working on here it's that uh there's a there's a there's another property that's really important um that is usually phrased as as above so below this idea that what happens in the physical world is reflected in specifically the heavens and beyond that the the spiritual realm so things that you do physically have an effect on again i'm using the word spiritual in a in a very kind of vague way and that you know depending on the alchemist gets applied in different ways but um it's it's not just a matter of purifying these elements to to make them uh you know uh elevated in status so this idea of going from base metals like lead to pure metals or 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 nobler metals like gold mm-hmm. but it's also this idea that if you can find a way to purify the substance you can use these same principles and even these same methods to create a, a, a spiritual purity. So sometimes that means closer uh, relationship with God. Sometimes that means the ability to uh, commune with spirits and the, the more potent the purification physically, the more powerful the spirits that you can access. Right. Is this something that eventually kind of gets into the whole Philosopher's Stone? It can make gold, but also improve your life expectancy? Yes. Okay. That's exactly what it is. Okay. But, so yeah. we're not actually going to hit the Philosopher's Stone until we get into no, the Islamic just, world. But here's a sneak peek. No, I <laughs> absolutely you're, you're absolutely right because again this it's a natural extension of this uh fundamental but flawed premise that there is an ability to uh, uh that that uh that matter tends towards purity right and that the spiritual world reflects the physical world in reality alchemy isn't that different from chemistry in that most of these experiments are done not necessarily expecting an al- a, a, an outcome specifically it's to try and figure out how that outcome fits into this, what they would eventually call the magnum opus, the great work of fully purifying a substance. Okay. Because if you can do that physically, then that can lead to a spiritual purity. And so it wasn't, it wasn't that, you know, Hey, I I dumped these two things together and this happens. And you know, that wasn't what I was expecting. So I'm going to bury this knowledge. It's okay. That's interesting. How does that fit into this wider, better or worse than how these things started separately? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and so it's, it's not as though everything is always going to work for the better, but it's got this value judgment attached to it. (laughs) It does every single time. And it has that framework. Is this purifying? Yeah. Is this improving? Is this exalting? And it's just, it's this whole concept of a universe that's straining towards order it's it's very understandable why that's the place that we're starting from right because if you look at greek greek life and, and by the way we're talking mostly about um uh uh Ptolemic egypt so so uh, right. egypt under greek rule mm-hmm. in in the few centuries before um uh you know the, the first century ad 
that idea of, of everything needing to work out properly is something that we've talked about before in, in uh, Greek mathematics, where, right. you know, everything needs to be expressed as a, it needs to be able to be expressed, expressed as a rational number or as a ratio uh, of rational numbers, or like, you know, they, they, they needed this geometrically conceptualized um, mathematics system. That, yeah. that all comes from this idea yeah, of the universe. To be able to represent it. Yeah. There was no room for doubt. <laughs> no, there can't, be, there can't be void. There can't be open decimals. But by extension, that, that open decimal implies infinity, which yeah, is also not possible. Or the void. <laughs> and it, it, was just a, it was just a worldview that was fundamentally incapable of recognizing that a, a, scientific, a scientific method without any judgment whatsoever um, might lead you to places that you don't necessarily want to be led. Yeah. So um, they didn't see this idea of a universe of order as being a flawed premise. They saw it as uh, an established fact um, from which their experiments could teach them more about the world. Right. And any experiment they had that resulted in something that that cemented that fact. <laughs> yeah. They're like, all right, awesome. Let's go from there. <laughs> and anything that doesn't is either just not a process that's useful to them. It's right. a corrupting process, or it just hasn't been discovered how it fits into that order yet. Gotcha. Let's talk about a likely mythical alchemist. I just now realized that I forgot to look up the pronunciation of this name. All right, let's give it a shot. Um, we'll go with um, Hermes uh, Trismegistus, which is probably wrong, but the Hermes part is right, so we're going to stick with Hermes. Sure. Um, likely not a real person, um, <laughs> or uh, even if it's not a real person, possibly just not one single real person. There's this thing that happens in w with ancient authors that, and it, it happens all the time in ancient texts, that uh, a name gains some credibility or some recognition. And so other people working in the same field will sometimes publish under yeah. this person's name. Tack that name onto it. <laughs> yeah, because it gives them uh, extra authority and, and, and recognition. And so... I mean, think of Homer is is a great uh, okay. example. A lot of people will talk about how the Homeric texts uh, might not have been written by just one person, or that you know there's this uh, theoretical original author that then people have made yeah. adjustments In to. In the style and, of yeah, basically, and and so there's a lot of questions about like the the historic homer was there one poet named homer if so how much of his work survives in the homeric texts oh i gotcha okay right? yep um or or was this just a whole bunch of people i mean we have the same discussion about shakespeare, shakespeare and that yeah. was only you know <laughs> that, that was relatively recent all things considered um now it's it's a lot less of a question with shakespeare but still the discussion happens so it's it's really not that suspect that there might be a, a an author from this period of time that we're not really sure what his origins are oh man people love those conspiracy theories <laughs> you know i i th i'm only spending any time on this whatsoever because we're talking about alchemy and there's yeah. this whole mystique around alchemy. oh right? sure yeah the whole thing shrouded in mystery and it is and it is and we'll get a little bit into why uh shortly but there's there's a good reason for it i just wanted to point out that this is one of the mysterious things that is not really that big a deal cool starting um, off strong so he was definitely he, he was definitely uh, an Egyptian under Greek rule, centered in Alexandria. That was really like the the founding city of alchemy in a lot of ways for for Western alchemy. And there were forty two books that are uh, attributed to Hermes that claim to contain all world knowledge. Oh, okay. So you know, done. If you if you want to learn <laughs> everything, just pick those up. Yep. Uh, you'll be set for life. 
Um, well, I don't know why we're even doing anything. <laughs> I don't know why I do this podcast. Just buy your Hermes Majestus books. Yeah, yeah, you can fit it on a floppy disk. <laughs> um, but we know that he existed sometime before the second century AD because by that point in time, he was being referenced by other authors as like his works existing. Oh, yeah. um, but citation needed. <laughs> well, basically, yeah. No, as, as soon as you have an author being referenced by other authors or yeah. works being referenced by other authors, it's a pretty good indication that, you yeah. know, this isn't like a hoax that was fabricated in 1650 or something. Census is pretty general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's really important. Another thing to, to understand about uh, Greek society at this point in time, that religiously speaking, there's, there's really two major layers to Greek religion. One is sort of this base layer where you get all of the standard mythology that you would have heard about as a kid with all the, the you know, Greek gods that you've heard about. Yeah. And people all the... springing fully forward and developing people's foreheads. And... Yeah, you know, the normal stuff. Yeah, turning into bulls and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Classics. Then you have what's known as mystery religions. Oh, good. <laughs> I and... love that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> um, the mystery religions are... Basically, the, the, the concept behind a mystery religion was that they claimed to have some sort of mystic knowledge that they felt was so important that they wanted to control who had access to the knowledge. And therefore, they were held by closed societies that you had to, had to be inducted into in order to learn their mystery information. Right. And if you were to ever break that oath of secrecy that you would take upon being inducted, mm -hmm. uh, the, the consequences were fairly dire, both for your, your you know, physical self and... Uh, and Miller's making the Illuminati symbol with his fingers <laughs> over his eye. Um, but I mean, that's where the idea of these like mysterious yeah. uh, secret, secret society. societies comes from, right? Yeah, yeah bo both for your physical self and for your spiritual well-being, you would often take oaths that involved, you know, if I break this, such and such will happen to my soul for all eternity. Got it. <laughs> and it's, it's also very important to understand that that would be an oath that would be taken by someone who legitimately believed that that is something that would happen to them if you, they ever broke the oath. It was a serious oath. It wasn't sort of a, yeah. a pageantry yeah, for... Yeah, it's not lip service. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so they stayed fairly secret. But these societies were also, like, widespread. They were all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it, like, it was very, very common. But this leads to a, a body of religion known as Gnosticism, which is this idea of, again, like secret knowledge, right? Yeah. And often the secret knowledge would take the form of something known as dualism. And dualism is a concept in religion that basically there are two worlds. Mm -hmm. There is the spiritual world and there's the physical world. And the nature of these two worlds, and this is the really important part, is that the spiritual world is this purely good place, whereas the physical world is a corruption of the spiritual world, and that the physical uh, the physical world and the physical self okay. uh, only exist because of uh, evil. Yes. And I think we've talked about something similar to this before, perhaps many times. Probably many times. You've at least heard me talk about it with Gary on a couple of the uh, religious... Uh, yeah, the, I, I think you and I talked about it for the Aten heresy where you had like these likely. people who were considered demigods or, or like you had like people who were considered manifest gods. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's entirely possible. But it, it tends to f uh, factor in more often when we're talking about things like um, the, the Reformation and stuff like that, because 
dualist sects would come up really, really often as heresies that would be stamped out by the church. Right. Because the dualism kind of flies right in the face of uh, Christianity, mostly because dualism generally necessitates uh, one good God and one bad God. Yes. Because the evil God is the one that created the physical world. And there are even some heretical sects that go as far as saying that the, the God of the Bible is actually the evil God of the physical world who is keeping the knowledge of the spiritual Ooh, world God yeah. away. And that, that's where you get like <laughs> lots of burnings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. It gets very, very dicey. But that, that dualist concept is like really predates Christianity in a lot of ways. You don't need a, a Christianity to rail against for that to come up. In fact, it, it kind of comes up a little bit easier in a polytheistic society than it does I can imagine, yeah. uh, in a monotheistic one. So why am I talking about all this stuff? <laughs> Namely because alchemists believed that a, a great number of them were dualists. And they believed that the act of purification wasn't just a, a way to elevate the status of a physical substance. Yeah, it was a holy act that they're performing. They are doing a small amount of work to heal the evil that is the physical world. Yeah. And that if you were able to purify a substance enough, it would cross the threshold from physical to spiritual. Right. However, they also believed that this knowledge was very, very dangerous. And so they took on this Gnostic mystery religion uh, belief that only people who are worthy should be inducted into this knowledge. I could kind of understand that. Well, because it's it's such an important work that they want to make sure that anyone who knows about it is on their side, basically. Well, well yeah, because using that thinking, anyone could come at the same experimentation with the opposite intention and corrupt the world further. And specifically, <laughs> and they lower are finding... Lower object's value. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're finding experiments that do exactly that that are moving away from purity yeah. that are that are corrupting materials and they're seeing that as literally necessary evils in the steps towards purification right um but they don't you know once once you've once you've discovered this this uh corruption other than for purely theoretical educational purposes they mm-hmm. don't want that they don't want to keep doing that <laughs> yeah 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 exactly so all of this comes around to these alchemical authors who rather than just writing out all of these concepts in very clear language are using extremely allegorical uh coded language to write all of this stuff down right because they're trying to hide this knowledge from the wrong people and the way that you become an alchemist is to be inducted into the society and taught what all of these symbols mean what all of this nonsense on this page actually means and hermes was no different the knowledge that he's passing down is coded. We know what a lot of it is now. Okay. Which oh, is... These where we see these ancient symbols that are like specific to the elements mm-hmm. come in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you get a lot of that stuff, but it would also go further than that. You would get literal um, allegories where it's like stories about interactions between the gods, but the gods each have um, their, their related metal. Right. Where... Um, let, let's... Okay. I let's, know one of them. Let, let's approach. Yeah, exactly. Mercury. Um, let's approach this from. That. Oh, okay. I was going to say Mars. Mars. Yeah. Which is iron. That's correct. Yeah. You know what? You, you can figure out at least two more. Oh, jeez. Um, I know Saturn is lead. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I don't know that I know a third one. If not, if not Mercury, you're going to say something. I'm going to feel silly. Go ahead. Uh, Apollo. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry man yeah uh that'd, that'd be the gold yeah yeah yep um i, I don't have <laughs> them all written i don't have them all written i forgot that, that the sun is a planet yeah the sun is a planet in this system um let's 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 approach this from uh, a slightly more technical angle and then we can kind of build to the allegory from there because we're doing this the exact wrong way okay, yeah. um, which to be honest is the way that you would learn this as a student of alchemy but um, we can cut right to it because I don't <laughs> think we're destroying the world yeah, by talking I'm, about this <laughs> by the way um, his his name is a corruption of uh, we're pretty sure two gods one Greek and one Egyptian right. Hermes obviously is, is the Greek god, Greek god and uh, Thoth who is the Egyptian god of writing magic science but note that we normally think of hermes as being you know the messenger god and that's about as far as it goes right there's another really important aspect to hermes which is the transcendence of barriers um he is the one that you know crosses people from life to death he's uh, able to yeah move between realms very easily and and so it's this idea of of knowledge of transcendence Mm -hmm. but anyways I, i i digress there's three main pillars of Hermes's knowledge. He, he believed that all knowledge in the world could be uh, rolled into three categories. And the first one is alchemy. There's two others that are completely separate from alchemy, but it, this is going to matter down the road. Okay. Um, and alchemy is the domain of the sun. And he believed that alchemy was uh, the study of nature, uh, the study of the nature of matter through the lens of life, death, and rebirth. Okay. So we are going to look at how matter becomes alive and how it dies um and this is going to matter again in a in a larger more cosmic sense because of this uh this theory of as above so below right okay so mainly what he was concerned with with was the chemical distillation and fermentation of matter and mostly of metals something that's really important to know about metallurgy at this point in time is that there are seven classical metals okay there is gold silver copper tin Mm -hmm. iron mercury and lead Lead, and these seven uh metals are the only purely elemental uh substances were that were available to the ancient world okay now they didn't necessarily realize that but that's what made these metals so special to them on a, a chemical or from a chemical standpoint. Okay. Now only gold and silver are actually uh, available, um, like in in the ground, yes. in their elemental state. Right, but right. the others are fairly easily, but the others are fairly easily derived yeah, from refined, simple processes. Yeah. But that made them like really interesting from a chemical standpoint. You could do really interesting things with them. They would react in th- with things in interesting ways. But then they would also link these seven classical metals mm-hmm. to the seven classical planets. Right. Yes. Right. And each one of these planets would then have their own patron god, which is where a lot of this sort of mythical allegorical stuff comes from. Is silver associated with a planet? The moon. Moon. I was going to say. It's the most reasonable thing I can think of. Well, also keep in mind that gold and silver, while also like reflecting from like a color standpoint, are also considered the noblest metals. Yes. Um, And a lot of that comes from the corruptibility. Yeah. Right? Because if you look at what happens to each of these metals when just left on their own which is you know the process of oxidization yeah um you know silver gets a little bit of a tarnish but you can wipe that off with a you know a little bit of oil and a a cloth you're fine Mm -hmm. when you look at something like iron you leave it out and it rots it literally rots away turns to dust and blows away yeah Uh, it it discolors it like all of that yeah right and so it's really 
understandable why they would consider something like gold, which doesn't oxidize at all, right. to be a more pure substance than something like lead or iron. Yeah. Um, plus, it's beautiful. Plus, it's beautiful. So, like, from it, it's really interesting to see how all of this stuff kind of interplays philosophically with the with the chemistry of it. Um, so, what they're talking about when looking at making something like lead into something like gold is to make it less corruptible, yeah, and therefore more pure, and therefore closer to its idealized uh, form in a in a spiritual sense, yeah, and less corruptive because at this point we already knew about the dangers of lead. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, that's, well, you know, so-so. Yeah, I mean, not scientifically, but... I, I, I mean, yes, but also the Romans were using it in their pipes. So. Yeah, but that's, like, where Saturnalia comes from and everything, right? Where it's True. like, oh, we're celebrating Saturn, the god of madness. Yeah, no, 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 you're absolutely right. Yeah. But this this all lends itself to kind of recording all of this stuff in, in these weird mythical allegories of, of you know, it, it, they're stories that kind of make no sense until you realize that they're you know when, when they're talking about apollo in this story it's actually talking about gold and yeah. the way it interacts with something oh, okay. else so, is... yeah it becomes very easy to write like a lot of myth that is coded for here's what your experiment mm -hmm. is supposed to be <laughs> yeah exactly and i mean it, it goes a lot farther than that that's sort of like step one removed yeah, from the yeah. actual chemistry of it but there, there's a, there's a lot of that going on so that's that's the alchemy portion of, of hermes's body of knowledge but then you also have astrology, which we've talked about before, mm -hmm. or at least astronomy, um, yeah. which is the domain of the stars rather than of the sun. And Hermes believed that astrology didn't dictate the actions of humans. He didn't look at the stars and their their rotation in the sky and say, like, this this is causing people to do things. He believes very much in free will. Okay, yeah. um, but free will is, as a concept is really important to the idea of dualism because I can imagine so. um, part of the part of the conflict between the two gods of dualism mm -hmm. is this idea of human beings given a corrupted world and deciding what to do with it yeah whether to go in one direction or the other it's it's this this grand contest between the two right right however he did believe that the cosmos describe the mind of the all is what he called it or the one okay um because hermes very much believed in uh the existence of one true god now here's where the like the timeline gets really hazy and who it is gets really hazy okay. and uh whether or not he would have been exposed to judaism or to christianity gets really oh, hazy okay. how much of this was edited in later like you know yeah that being said he believed like this isn't this isn't a strictly christian god or judaic god right, right. this is um much closer to what we're going to talk about in in the, in the 17th century as as like deism right this idea of the the, the clockmaker uh -huh. um somebody who sets the universe in motion and then just steps back and lets it run mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's a there's a creator involved but they don't actually have any uh direct divine intervention yeah, done necessarily yeah, it's done. <laughs> yeah and so that was his conception of of how existence came into being but he also believed that if you look at astrology and you learn about astrology you can learn the mind of the creator basically oh. and to, to at least to some extent and that understanding it would mean understanding the world around us and so again as above so below that means both learning more about the the chemical aspects of alchemy mm -hmm. uh allows greater understanding of of uh, astrology but also understanding astrology uh can provide insight into how the chemistry of it all works oh, okay he believed that those two uh relate very directly and they relate um specifically in this third pillar known as theurgy which is the domain of the gods mm -hmm. and theurgy is basically magic 
and he believed that there are two very distinct types of magic and and theurgy is one it's it's this um uh divine magic it's good magic white magic if you like right um where it's about communion with good spirits or divine spirits uh angels gods whatever uh you prefer and this idea that through understanding of the cosmos mm -hmm. and through um physical purification which by the way, also has like physical um, implications for the self, right? Like, you know, he's using things that he's learning through uh, purification of metals to also, uh, for example, uh, create uh, medicine. Yeah. Um, and it's all based on these Aristotelian concepts of the four elements and how they affect the the properties of the body. He's believing that um, diseases can be cured through alchemy. He's believing that uh, life can be extended by alchemy, but also that you can purify your own human spirit. Yeah. And by doing so, open yourself up to communion with higher and higher spirits. Yeah, this is something like the theurgic magic is a term I've come across before from like RPGs and stuff like that. And your description of it is basically reminding me of like a Dungeons and Dragons style paladin, where not only do you have access to some divine magic and stuff like that, but eventually you can uh, overcome bodily concerns such as fear or poison right. or disease. Yeah, and, and that's where alchemy got it from, was yep. they got their hands on on a, on a player's handbook and learn all about it. It must have been first edition at that point. Yeah, that was a... <laughs> um, and then obviously there's this black magic, which is communion with uh, evil spirits or demons, which uh, was corrupting both for the self, which makes a lot of sense. It's kind of this classical idea of, you know, a deal with the devil sort of thing, right. but also was physically corrupting both of your body and of the, the world. Yeah. So these three, these three things work together to create an entire understanding of the whole world. And Hermes, uh, Hermes's body of work is going to be so important to alchemy in general that it's really kind of important to have a, a handle on the basics of it. And we're going to be coming back to him at a couple points because right, right. a lot of stuff gets kind of imposed on Hermes later. Oh. Kind of an understanding of, of the universe and, and how he relates to future alchemists is going to come into play quite a bit. But like these these basics are, are what he actually would have been putting down in his first hand. Well, um, things are going to come up later, like especially in, in the, the Middle Ages or even the early modern period of uh, people believing that Hermes Trismegistus was given before the fact knowledge of Christianity and interpreting his his uh doctrine of there being one true creator as oh, like uh predictive uh, yeah predictive revelation of christianity and rolling the christian god into the, all of this and like so yeah. you get a lot of them imposing themselves on this oh i see both to legitimize hermes but also to protect later practitioners of alchemy from any explicit heresy okay uh, through right yeah, you understand yeah. what i'm saying though like, like yeah hermes is totally on board with christianity guys <laughs> yeah but it also it also proves his uh, legitimacy by saying like listen i you know jesus hadn't even appeared on earth and he already knew about christianity yeah. that makes well, him that like that wondering. means he was given divine revelation and therefore his knowledge needs like it must be true yeah i was wondering about that before when you were describing like the you know sort of roots of astrology and so on where there's some sort of mm -hmm. divine creator and he sets the uh universe in motion yeah and if you read the stars you can kind of see what that might what that might mean for now what it might have meant in the past what it might mean for the future mm -hmm. and sort of that being like our our sort of modern take on astrology now right it's like oh we can look at the stars in their positions and say well this is what the future holds yeah 
no, we'll, we'll certainly get into some, some mental gymnastics to make all of this stuff work. Down yeah, I'm already leaping back and forth a lot. <laughs> but but I think we're getting kind of a picture of what exactly is, uh, alchemy is trying to do here, right? Yes, yeah. it's, 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 this purifica- it's this purification of, of both the physical world and the spiritual world and the relationship between the two. Mm-hmm. So now that we've finally gotten all of that out of the way, I think <laughs> this is a really good place to take a quick break. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll talk about what exactly uh, these Greek alchemists got up to. Sounds great. All right, we're back on HI101 here with Kevin Miller. Hi. And we've been talking about alchemy. We sure have. And (laughs) it's kind of a big bite to Uh chew, huh? Yep, I'm still reeling. But honestly, the more I've read on this this subject, I've been really drawn in by a lot of the stuff that I've I've hit. Because I I don't know, you you get this idea of, of alchemists being either these really twisted magicians that are doing horrible evil stuff or else just kind of charlatans that are trying to get rich quick yes well the the impression that i always got was the charlatan who's trying to get rich quick and then exposed himself to a lot of lead and got kind of you know Mm -hmm. kooky sure well and and it's interesting because you know I'm, i'm jumping ahead a little bit but a lot of that is church propaganda oh i'm sure you'll see this with all sorts of different heretical sects but generally what they do when they have somebody that is working with uh information that they don't like and is is fairly small like is well contained isn't widely available right is they just run this massive smear campaign on them and it's really effective because they just pick something that is actually accurate yeah blow completely out of proportion Mm -hmm. ignore all of the reasons that they would actually do that thing and all of a sudden they've got this terrible reputation and and no one wants to associate with them (laughs) they're very they're very good at it you see it over and over and alchemists are one of the one of the groups of people who are hit by that wizards are very dangerous yeah basically witches will unpurify your children and turn them into frogs <laughs> yeah pretty much um no it's it's but but when you when you look at it from a dualist perspective i mean this is really consistent with a, with a lot of other religious ideas that are happening around this time like you get uh christian gnosticism as well right that's right. that's maybe not necessarily uh approaching it from the the chemical aspect but a lot of their ideas are in line with the philosophical aspects of it right mm-hmm. um or on the flip side you've got you know classical medicine that is basically using this whole four elements system of the universe um as well as the the idea that these four elements have a direct effect on the spiritual well-being of a person to create the system of medicine that's going to stick around for nearly 2000 years yeah, say that's the humor system <laughs> yeah exactly that's that's the, the humor the humor system is a direct result of alchemy it's just kind of a different turn on alchemy that ends up being divorced from a lot of the uh more spiritual aspects of it because that even broke it down into like like everything had like its known characteristics like oh yeah your blood which was considered to be like hot and wet i think Mm -hmm. and then what sort of remedies might be associated with that or how to get that blood out of you because chances are you got too much of it yeah well and i mean the it because it ends up corresponding with the the physical like the the four classical elements right you know fire is dry and hot or, yeah. or you know uh water is cold and moist it's like it's, it's pretty every, everything f- fits into these neat little boxes right yeah, exactly. every single time it always fits into this neat little box because that's where this whole ordered concept of the universe leads you eventually right is this massive categorization of everything that happens yeah. and nothing can can defy that categorization because that would invalidate the entire system 
So you have to fit it somewhere mm -hmm. or else revise the categorization, which occasionally does happen, yes. but like as rarely as possible. Uh -huh. So what were alchemists actually doing in this kind of, you know, around, mission statement. <laughs> around 1 AD in Alexandria type period? The, the very unfortunate answer to that is we don't know most of it because during an uprising well, in the third century, mm -hmm. uh, the emperor Diocletian had all alchemical texts in Alexandria burned, which makes things tricky. Yep. I was looking around. I, I didn't spend much time on it, but I didn't see why specifically he, he singled out alchemical texts. It might have been because it's kind of a local sort Curiosity. of cultural thing yeah. um it might have also been because he was in the midst of uh some currency reforms that's speculation on my part but it, it may be that he was uh trying to put a lid on false currency <laughs> huh. um I, I i don't know though i just know that he was right in the middle of trying to reform rome's currency which is in a, which was in a dire uh state at that point in time yeah, um, that's your excuse for everything <laughs> well but uh, to, to be fair we do have records of processes dating from this time that are uh, instructions on how to create fake gold and fake silver, how to create or clean or even grow pearls, right. how to create fake gemstones. That's all stuff that was happening around oh, this point okay. in time. So here are these fungible items that we know, and if alchemists have some mm -hmm. technique for producing their own. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's not, obviously this isn't, we're never going to get to a point in this story where we're actually literally turning lead into gold, but... That was the thought. Yeah, and, and I mean, anything that's going to uh, lower confidence in a currency is going to be a problem, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. But that's the kind of thing that they were already working on. Again, it's really easy to jump to greed as the motivation for this, but that's not what... At least that's not what the intended purpose of, of alchemy was. I'm sure there are people <laughs> who are doing it for those Again, reasons. Yeah, they didn't write that down. <laughs> but um, by creating something that looked like gold, I mean... If you're going to try and figure out how to create gold, how to create a pure substance, yeah. creating something that looks a whole lot like gold seems like a pretty good first step, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not actually going to get that much closer, so it's something. Yeah. You know, it's it's understandable from a from a, a, a the standpoint of of chasing that philosophy of purification. Well, yeah, and I mean, your description of it made it sound very incremental. Do this experiment, take the result if it is considered to be of value, mm -hmm. and work from there. Mm -hmm you know striving always for gold or something very pure as the as the final destination mm -hmm. but always taking those little steps where you can get them yeah and a lot of them sideways yeah and no idea what they were doing oh that's sure. what experimentation is all about <laughs> yep practically speaking not a lot of chemical advances were made in this time period now to be fair part of that may be because we're missing the information mm -hmm. that's entirely possible but a lot of it is because a lot of the writings that were coming out of uh, Alexandria at this point in time were addressing the philosophical nature of of alchemy rather than the the physical nature the the chemical nature of it. So they were more concerned with ideas about uh, the four elements, for example, or as they extended things, the five elements. Actually, right there was the proposed uh, addition of ether to the, yeah, the, to the there's, list. There's one that was very just nothing. <laughs> well, ether was the the substance that was proposed to explain why the rules of the, the movement of the stars didn't seem to oh, that's right. follow any any um, uh, any of the laws of physics, basically. Yeah. And and the idea was that the sphere beyond uh, the earthly sphere uh, was full of ether, and, and these these bodies moved through the ether, which had none of the same properties of any of the four right, earthly brains, elements. Without being necessarily on the inside of a shell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there was also these proposals that perhaps 
there weren't there, there was something more than just these four elements in ether perhaps it was possible to combine these four elements perhaps these four elements were just aspects of like a single like original element i, I guess you could say that contains all four aspects right oh, i see yeah uh, it, it is both hot and dry yeah to, to, to concentrate it to this original single sort of it's it's almost a big bang theory of of uh, Aristotelian uh, oh, I see. Uh, uh, chemistry, right? Yeah. The, this idea that there was this single element that was originally present in the universe that this creator would have taken and split into the four elements from which uh, all other uh, matter exists. And I, I should be clear, none of these people actually believed that there was a, there, there is air, like there are building blocks of air and there are building blocks of water right. that, you know, that there's only four substances that exist. This is a, this is as much philosophical as it is chemical right like they understand that gold is different than silver and silver is different than copper and that these things aren't just like a splash of water away from being this other thing yeah, right? right it's as much about talking about their nature on like an existential level as it is a chemical level and so like we, we talk about these four elements all the time as though like it's an actual thing that people believed and it's not quite it's more of an allegory for what exists like what 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 physical matter is and how it behaves right it's for a sort of ideal stage to which all matter strives but can't become exactly okay exactly and and so thank you for that it's it's really <laughs> difficult to actually kind of explain concisely because it doesn't make any sense because it's not how <laughs> because that's not how the world works yeah exactly and and you know this is the kind of thing that people would spend lifetimes studying and trying to understand better and to add to the body of knowledge for yeah um even though it's not a real thing. I'm remembering a Star Trek episode where um, someone's in like a pre, like a medieval society on a, some planet somewhere. Sure. And they're like, oh, the wood contains fire. And by exposing it to flame, we can encourage the fire to come out. <laughs> it's like, huh? Yeah. And that's yeah. like almost immediately like, no. No. <laughs> I mean, that's the, yeah, no, that's not quite how people would have thought of it. Yeah. Wood, wood was wood. It burned. They, everyone knew that. That's fine. Yeah. That's all it needs to be. Known that for, for a long time. But, yeah, this this sort of categorization of things and this categorization of people's physical states from like a medical perspective, uh, that's that's really where a lot of this work ends up uh, taking people because life is a mysterious thing. That's I, I don't mean that in like a general uh, way. I mean, I mean the, 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 bi <laughs> the, the biological process that is life yeah. is really hard to understand and is also uh, really understandably fascinating for people. And, and you can understand why they assume that there must be a, a physical or a spiritual aspect to it. Um, yeah, it it's, it's still one of the great unknowns. Well, absolutely. And and so it, it, it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't exist. And it doesn't seem to follow any of the rules that, and, and I'm, I'm speaking of the perspective from some someone from this time, but it doesn't seem to follow any of the rules of these other four elements. Right, yes. And so they're trying to figure out how these four elements relate to life. And medicine is one of the major intersections between these two things. Right. So they're looking for things. Um, and as we've talked about in medical episode, they're looking for things that affect people's well-being their health and then kind of categorizing them backwards to the elements based on their medical properties yes which is where you get remedies that are are considered to help out one humor versus another right exactly so like oh this is you know phlegmatic and therefore mm -hmm. will help balance out your abundance of blood or something yeah i think you might actually be right on that one i think you got the two right i think i think yeah those were opposite <laughs> I'm, i can never remember them once i like I, I remember them long enough to do one of the shows and make sure that everything's like correct and then they just kind of 
scurry away again. The one thing I do remember them. is that you never had to worry about an abundance of blood because that was the easiest one to fix. Yeah. <laughs> Just get yeah. some of that blood out of there. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Slap a leech on it. Um, that being said, it's not as though no one in this period was doing any practical work. There were some actually really interesting advances that some of them are things that persist to this day, which is really interesting. Um, the first uh, non-mythical alchemist that we can actually talk about oh boy. is someone named, uh, and I hate this name, and I feel really bad, but this is her name, was Mary the Jewess. <laughs> okay. Also known as Mary the Prophetess, I guess. You got to slap the S on there to sure. make sure you know that Mary's a woman. Um, <laughs> but man, she was an actual alchemist that really lived in sometime between the 1st and the 3rd century AD uh, in Alexandria. And she did some things that uh, are definitely or almost certainly her. There are other things that are ascribed to her that definitely she didn't do. Okay. Um, but I, I mean, she's credited with the discovery of hydrochloric acid, for example. Okay. She probably didn't do that one. That's one of the like probably not uh, discoveries, but um, she almost certainly did discover some acid salts. Okay. Um, which again, we're, we're talking about 1900 years ago. Yeah, That's yeah. pretty interesting stuff. It's important stuff. And, and stuff I'm sure that would be very exciting for an alchemist. Yeah, absolutely. And, and acid salts uh, react in really interesting ways with other substances. And yeah. really, I think, I think a lot of alchemists at this point in time are a lot like grade five students where yes. if you <laughs> if you make a baking soda volcano <laughs> it's it's really amazing to watch yeah you can you can see what's happening immediately yeah any no any reactions any reactions that are obviously like the, the, the results of which are obviously apparent like immediately yeah. and uh as as spectacularly as possible those are the ones you really want to go after yeah of course um and and completely understandably so I, i'm not gonna pretend I don't enjoy watching them. No, of course. <laughs> and, I, and I know what's going on when they think it's literally magic. It still happens. Yeah. You see those videos on on like you know IFL science, and it's like, hey, if we put these two chemicals, it opens a portal to hell. Like that weird <laughs> like tentacle shaped piece of ash comes out of it. Yeah. And you're like, oh okay. Yeah, and you know some guy discovered that a thousand years ago and was like, oh no, oh, oh no, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, yeah, no, something, something like acid salts. I mean, she probably didn't understand what she had actually discovered there, but yeah. are like, you know, anytime ions are exchanged, that's super important for chemistry. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's very, very important. The results are apparent. Um, she did like almost certainly, uh, invent a, a type of alembic. Okay. which is uh, uh, basically a piece of glassware with, with two different chambers that's, uh, designed to help you distill uh, liquids out of it. Oh, okay. Um, yep. So it's it's actually really similar to like an alcohol still in a lot of ways, yeah. the way that it's it's structured. But it's it's basically like one big vessel with at the top it's kind of bent over and it goes to another smaller vessel. Yes. And when you boil it, the the condensation from the one drips down into the other. Mm -hmm. But that that type of alembic is actually still in use occasionally for certain specific cases. Yeah. She also invented something called a keratakis, which is a hermetically sealed device. Um, used to collect vapors. Okay. And this was only improved upon in 1878. Wow. This same device was used. The same design was used until 1878. Hmm. What would that, what would something like that be used for? I'm not familiar. Uh, collecting the vapors of so like you're you're boiling something off. Okay. Collecting whatever boils. Oh. I so see. you would set the boiling at a certain temperature. Yeah. So collect only what remains below that you intend to. Yeah. Yeah. And so separating those out. Also notice the word hermetically sealed. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. That is derived from Hermes. Yes. I forgot to say his name, uh, Tresmegistus, is actually it actually means uh, thrice great, and there's a lot of different like 
theories on where that exactly comes from. It's a title that's sometimes given to Thoth. Okay. Uh, it's also, you know, there's people who uh, connect it to the three pillars. Uh, there are people who say that he's like the third Hermes in his family. There are going to be later people who say that it's a reference to the Holy Trinity. The, oh, okay. it's, I, no one knows, but that's what it means. It's thrice great. Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> She's credited with inventing a device called a Ben Marie, which is a Mary bath in French. Okay. Um, probably she's not the one that did this. We're not entirely sure. Similar devices were uh, used before she existed, but it's possible that she refined uh, some designs for alchemical work. And basically it's a double boiler. Like you, oh. And, and it, it, uh, what it allows you to do is limit the temperature of one substance by, uh, to, the boiling uh, to the boiling point of another substance. Mm -hmm. Um, which, again, is really useful for separating out. Because remember, every single experiment that an alchemist is doing is trying to distill things to its fundamental building blocks. And right. they're kind of hoping, again, to bring everything to its ideal state. And yeah. if you can take one thing and separate it out into two things, clearly yeah, those two and, things... And do so with precision. <laughs> yeah, and clearly those two things are more pure than whatever that single thing was that you started with. Right, right. Um, that's, the, that's the basic concept between or behind most experiments that are happening yeah, here. I can see a lot of basic experiments coming out of these devices. Sure, absolutely. Well, certainly, and, like we were saying, like the discovery of certain types of salts, like, I mean, distillation is super important for that. Well, and I mean, one of the things that's going to eventually rock the scientific world, I can't remember what year this happened. I, I can't for the life of me, but when people realize that water isn't uh, an element, yeah, it, it took a long time. That only happened within the last few hundred years. The idea that water is made up of two separate... Two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's made up of two separate substances, and mm -hmm. that was a bit of a... Yeah, that, that that changed some things for some people. Yeah, and I mean, that the recipe involves combustion. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, it's also really interesting that alchemy in this time period, and actually quite a bit like through, throughout its history, is something that is performed by women who are actually noted that they performed it. Yeah. It is, is kind of fascinating to me. Some of them are semi-fictitious or or are, you know, their, their identities are unconfirmed. A lot of the alchemists working in this period period the first you know few centuries of uh the common era are working under pseudonyms mm -hmm. so you'll get stuff that's like this was an experiment done by someone named isis or someone named oh, uh, like, like yeah. they're, they're going by uh their hacker name yeah basically <laughs> it's, it's not you know it's not the worst comparison it's not exact but yeah they're going by handles yeah they don't want anyone to know i get it it's all very secret society in the late 3rd century or early 4th century CE, you get Zosimos of Panopolis, who is the first alchemical author that we're like, certain this is a guy that existed and wrote okay. a book on alchemy. Yeah. And he's actually our source for uh, the existence of, of Mary. Oh. Um, but he, he didn't really add a lot to the corpus that we haven't already discussed, but it is interesting that this is the first uh, confirmed book that we have. Note that it is after the burnings. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Still there. Probably makes an impact. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, we have we have confirmed alchemical works at this point. I will mention though that at this point forward, Western alchemy is going to kind of take a bit of a dip, at least in Europe. This is kind of the time period where we're all, we're also dealing with you know the collapse of the Roman Empire, yeah, uh, which has a pretty profound effect on scholarship. But basically, by the seventh century, Greek alchemy had become almost exclusively theoretical. Um, okay. the, 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 the experiments had dropped off significantly, which is why we kind of talk about it being not terribly uh, uh, practical yeah. uh, or technical. So any books we get out of this time period are mostly commentary on previous alchemists' work okay. um, and some refinement of the ideas behind them, but not really adding to the, the, 
the practical yeah knowledge. and at this point there's a few known sources to sort of base conceptual conceptual thoughts off of yeah and i mean the existence of hermes uh having basically created alchemy out of whole cloth which is is absolutely not true but it almost seems that way from his works sounds like it it's very similar to what you get in in other fields where you've just got this this prime authority and you're going like well it exists already like we know what's going on yeah this is the this is the hippocrates of of yeah uh, of chemistry basically um well he said it already we got it figured out we don't need to keep going fortunately for all world knowledge literally <laughs> right. all scholarship around the same time that everything's declining in in europe the arab world is going through a, a, an absolute scientific renaissance that's and right yeah this is a thing that gets ignored a lot which is really too bad because the you know in in the seventh and eighth centuries the the entire the entire islamic world is is just fascinating it's incredibly wealthy it's incredibly uh academic it's 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 making huge strides in in just knowledge that's integral to our world today and we kind of just conveniently forget that it's happening a lot i want to make a note to self to request this as an episode at some future time <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll do it at some point i'm I'm, I'm worried that I won't be able to find enough information. Maybe that's an unfounded worry, but like, I, I really hope it's there. I really hope it's accessible like because it's a like golden age of science. Yeah. It always, it always feels like it's a little sparse when I get to this section and it kind of sucks. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of historians probably want to gloss over that for whatever reason. I, I think things are getting a bit better, but yeah, eh, this is, this is your, this is your friendly reminder once a month that history has an agenda and uh, sometimes it works against what you're trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. I mean, the Islamic impact on alchemy is so strong that, I mean, literally the word alchemy is uh, rooted in Arabic. I, mean, I had a feeling. I'm like, I know that Al is going to come in here somewhere. Yeah, alchemia. Uh, Al is the, the definite article in, in Arabic. And it, it comes from the Greek word chemia, which is uh, a borrowed Greek word from uh, Coptic, which is the Egyptian language. Right for Kame for uh it's it's Egypt's name for itself and it means uh black earth uh which is in opposition to uh red sand black earth is fertile okay. red sand is dead gotcha. uh it's a reference to the Nile and and the the, the floodplains there yep. but what you're getting there is the both word of chemistry <laughs> yeah well you're you're getting you're getting a word that both references where it came from Egypt yeah. but also this idea of fertility and life yes. and and something coming from nothing it doesn't hurt that in medieval Greek, chimea means mixture. Right. I think chimera, yeah, chimera right? Yeah. So you get a word that means mixture. You get a word that means fertility. You get a word that means change. You get a word that means life. Well, it's interesting even from like a, uh, like a linguistic standpoint, basically how this phrase is sort of iterating on itself as it's passing through these different cultures mm-hmm. over, what, a thousand years at this point? And just adding a, a depth of, of meaning and yeah. of, of uh, importance. Um, as you go, it's, I don't know, this is... It's a fun fact. Try not to put too much etymology in here, but it's always its always interesting. Yeah. Well, usually interesting. The alchemy that's happening in the Islamic world is much better documented. Again, the burning probably isn't helping things here. I feel like somebody's going to ask me this. This is not the burning of the Great Library of Alexandria. It's not the same thing. I didn't think so. Um, it seemed very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things like... As soon as I read about it, I went and double-checked like, no, that it wasn't the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, it just seems like I'll almost certainly get a message about it. Yeah, when you said that, you know, this dude comes through and burns this very specific section, I'm like, I don't think this is the one. Mm-hmm. No. By uh, the late 7th and early 8th century 
interest in Greek philosophy has really peaked because they're still getting a lot of these works directly from uh, the region, even though the, the actual addition to the corpus isn't growing. Okay. It's important to remember that while the, you know, the, the Western Roman Empire is, is gone, the Eastern Roman Empire is still going strong, but at this point in time is culturally changing from uh, a Latin one to a Greek one, right? So they're getting a lot of this stuff through one of their most powerful neighbors, the mm. what, what's, what we're going to call the Byzantine Empire. Okay. So this stuff is widely accessible just in Greek. It's lost in the Western Roman Empire because we stopped translating it to Latin. Right. And Arabic scholars are fascinated by the great Greek philosophers for the same reasons that everybody is, you know, it's fascinating stuff and and forms a a basis of a worldview that is really cohesive and really widespread at this point in time. And a lot of Arabic scholars are going to incorporate this into their academia. And what comes along with it is alchemy, uh, because at this point it's become so integrated into every every part of natural philosophy is what you would call it right. uh, that that you really can't not get some of that in there natural philosophy okay well and and this is where you get things like the philosopher's stone this is where you get yes. uh the issues between you know separating out scientific history from uh uh philosophical history and religion and uh, you, you know it's it's Part, part of the problem is that they're not doing a lot of uh, experiments on stuff. They're, they're theorizing about it. Right. Um, part of it is that they can't separate the experiments that they do from the philosophy behind it. So it's, it's, it's when we talk about it, and, and we address this at the beginning of the show, when we talk about it in terms of completely separating out the uh, strictly experimental aspects of it or talking about it only in the religious philosophical aspects of it, you're not really getting the whole story because you have two halves of a whole that's informing yeah. um, inextricably each other. tied to each other. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really confusing. Like aspects of it are more confusing when you don't uh, uh, address the, the other half of it yeah. because you're going, well, why would you do that? And the answer is because they observe something in the stars and yeah. you're going, well, that makes no sense. Why would that matter? So all of this alchemical knowledge comes along with, you know, the, the three great philosophers and with uh, uh, the the Greek medicine that comes along and mm-hmm. with the, um, you know, you can't talk about uh, Plato and, and sort of the idea of like the ideals, right? Like the, the, the allegory of the cave. Right. That stuff ties into philosophy or t- sorry, that stuff ties into alchemy because as far as alchemists are concerned, mm-hmm. they're striving to become the things that are casting the shadows on the wall of right, the cave. Yeah, they're cool. trying to find that, that theoretical ideal mm-hmm. and they see alchemy as the road to that. Now we get to run into one of my favorite characters so far in this story. Character. Possibly my favorite of the, the, of the entire thing. Uh, a man named Jabir Ibn Hayyan, who was, who is frequently given the title of the father of chemistry. Okay. And this is a, this is a title that is uh, vied for by people like Robert Boyle yeah. and uh, Antoine Lavoisier. He's in good company here. Yes. He is as much of a driving force be- behind Islamic alchemy as Hermes was for Greek and Egyptian. Okay. And potentially does more for the discipline than, than Hermes does. That's maybe debatable, but on a practical level, it's, yeah, it's entirely possible. Pragmatically. <laughs> he essentially developed a version of the scientific method. Okay. So maybe you've heard of him. Maybe. maybe him. Well, that's, that's the unfortunate thing about all of this, right? Like you don't hear about a guy like yeah. this and Jabir is, is so important, not just to alchemy, but to 
science yes. like, overall and we just just don't talk about him he's so easily written off and it kind of sucks yeah chemistry is an important one if you are considered to be the father of it by some well you're probably an important dude the main thing that he's doing that differentiates him from other people is the introduction of controlled experimentation yes he is looking to limit as many variables as possible to make sure that the thing that he thinks is causing a reaction is actually the thing causing the reaction yep and he's repeating and yeah yeah it's it's a it's a pretty important part yep. um, and i mean when, when you look at his actual methodology today you're going to find some flaws but i mean that's you know he, he got us a lot closer than we were before he was oh, alive definitely. so you know what i mean like it's it's important stuff we know that this guy worked with hydrochloric acid. Okay. Um, so this is absolutely in the picture at this point. Okay. As well as sulfuric and nitric acids. All very important to chemistry. <laughs> um, there are other alchemists that are working in this period. A man named Alkindi and a man named uh, Muhammad al-Zakariya's uh, Razi uh, working in the same period alongside him often. Okay. But there's so much done by Jabir ibn Hayyan that you can't, like we we can do most of our talking about him and cover the the period fairly yeah, well. Most of what everyone was doing. <laughs> the biggest scientific discovery of this period is aqua regia. Oh, okay. Do you know what this is? I've heard the term before. Oh. It stands for uh, the, the it's Latin for royal water, okay. and it's a combination of nitric and hydrochloric acids. Okay. Do you know what it does? No. Okay. It dissolves gold. Oh. Okay. And what's more, Uh it can be re-extracted from aqua regia. Yes. The most famous uh, story about aqua regia is uh, a much more recent and much more upsetting story, which is that there were, um, I'm going to forget names and I'll add them in the notes. It's fine. During World War II. Okay. uh, There were a number of of Jewish scientists, uh, very prominent Jewish scientists that had to flee Germany because of the situation there. Right. And... There were a few that fled, and one of their colleagues actually dissolved their uh, Nobel Prize medals in aqua regia oh, and wow. just put them on a shelf yeah. in the lab. And they sat there for the duration of the war. <laughs> after the war, he uh, and, and his colleagues survived. They, yeah. they made it out of the country. They lived. Uh, after the war, he re-extracted the gold and sent it to the he Nobel recast. Society, <laughs> and they had them recast yeah. and, and given back to them. Which... This is this is a less bad story than it could have been. I'll yeah. I'll, I'll note that, yes. but it's it has the benefit of being both very interesting in like a super nerdy way, yeah. and having kind of a you know stick to the Nazis sort of ending. Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, a, I love those stories. Whenever you hear someone who's like really skilled in a specific field and able to use it in a very practical way to stick it to somebody who wants to take it away from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think no. there's famously a story of like David Copperfield getting mugged. Yeah, and being able to like palm his phone and wallet and everything like yeah. that, and be like, "Oh, I don't have anything in my pockets. I don't have anything in my pockets. <laughs> Buddy got robbed though. <laughs> yeah, couldn't help that, dude. No, no, it's too late. Anyways, yeah, I mean, Aquaregia, just from a from a the implications of that existing are so world-changing to someone working in alchemy. Oh, sure. Specifically because you can extract the gold back out of it. Yeah. There was this idea that perhaps if you could find what was known as a universal solvent, something that could dissolve anything, Mm -hmm. which 
by definition can't really exist because no. it would dissolve its own container and there's all sorts of other implications for it right but if you could find something that could dissolve anything to its sort of elemental state to mm -hmm. its fundamental state uh let's use that word rather than elemental because that has more specific oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, implications um but if you could dissolve anything to its fundamental state you could more easily change the the nature of that thing because it's so close to its own nature right uh it's 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 not been corrupted so far away from these four classical sorry we're up to five classical yes. elements it's 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 evolved so far away from that 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 perhaps it's easier to work with and and transmute i got you okay. um there are also negative implications to this which is that even gold the least corruptible yeah. element has something that exists that <laughs> yeah. can corrupt it can dissolve it so yeah that was you know i'm sure that made the front page of the alchemist's Secret coded newsletter <laughs> that they burned immediately <laughs> but yeah that that is going to obsess people for the next thousand years that's, oh i bet yeah uh, that's for sure jabir's main goal was something that he called taquin which was artificial life okay he was less interested in the the refinement the purification aspects of of alchemy although that did obviously interest him quite a bit mm -hmm. instead he uh leaned more towards the practical aspects of the spiritual side of alchemy okay and his fundamental like his his ultimate goal was to create life create. in the lab <laughs> yeah. Be, well because that's an act of creation yeah. which is an act that uh, godliness well it, it by definition brings you closer to this yeah. one ultimate creator yeah who in, in like you know in, this thing that we both did <laughs> yeah exactly but if if he can do it yeah that elevates him to like by definition to a status that is uh, uh similar to a god and by doing so should hypothetically purify him spiritually right exactly and this isn't i know i know this sounds like an act of ultimate hubris and everything that we've ever learned from gothic literature tells yeah, us that it say. is going to go very very badly <laughs> but that's not what he intended that's not how he thought of it he was not uh elevating himself in a power trippy sort of way in in a lot of ways he saw this as a, an act of humility because it's an act of repetition of 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 sort of following an example okay but but also he thought of this as th this works this works two ways doing this thing elevates you but also if you're not already spiritually at a certain place you won't be able to do this thing i see and and again you see that like kind of intertwined nature of spirituality and, and chemistry and alchemy so then is this like a goal that he had for himself that he wasn't ready to try for a long time he tried in fact he wrote he wrote recipes on how to create different specific types of life. Okay. Uh, here's how you make a scorpion in the lab. <laughs> sure. And and it's likely that the way that he was writing these, it was more of a theoretically, here's how you should be able to do it. Um, not a, hey, this one time I made a scorpion. Yeah. And the difference between between artificial life and real life in his in his mind was not where it originated, but by its level of agency so he saw anything that was created in the lab as being less than real oh, life it was yeah. it was a it was a it was a subjugate yeah it was an artificial form of life and by the nature of him being the creator of it yeah it would obey him basically yes, it, it would, would worship him yeah yeah it's it's kind of a, a golem sort of yeah uh idea um and that would be the main thing i would point to in terms of things to make this seem less weird 
is this uh, you know this Eastern European tradition, uh, J- Jewish tradition of the golem, where right. this is an artificial uh, form of life, but it's being granted life through uh, uh, spiritual devotion, mm-hmm. and is a protector. Is a protector. It follows uh, your your uh, instructions, but ultimately isn't on the same level as real life, as as true God given life. Right. But he saw that act of creating that life as being purifying in and of itself. So. Ah, man, sometimes I feel like I'm going around in circles on this one, you know? I it's just it's it's got my head in enough of a knot that like I I want to make sure that I'm being clear on it. Yeah, if I, I'm responding a lot of one-word answers it's because I'm trying to grasp. Yeah, cuz there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on here. He saw the key to transmutation. Mm-hmm. In the uh, Aristotelian properties and the fact that everything only ever had two properties. Okay. And as far as Jabir was concerned, everything had four properties. It's just the two were external and two were internal. Oh, I see. And the way that you transmute something is you need to find a way to flip it inside out, basically. And that's where you get some of the more traditional uh, transmutation combinations, specifically uh, lead is cold and dry, gold is uh, hot and moist. Right. So that is the exact inverse of each other. You should be able to get it to flip. Reverse itself, yeah. And show its internal properties externally. And he... uh, So then, just to sort of boil down mm-hmm. um, his his sort of philosophy was that like every substance because of its nature yeah can be inverted into something specific yes so or, or something like, that is the uh, the opposite of gold yeah so the but specifically like it, it can be anything as long as it has the opposite nature oh i see so um, not lead specifically not necessarily. specifically yeah so it's not though it's not as though they are the exact opposite of each other everything has like a polar opposite and gotcha. can be flipped from one to the other it's that this expression of Aristotelian elementalism is a gateway to transmutation. So we believe that there was this fundamental building block of every material called a corpuscle. And the corpuscles could be convinced, basically, to, to invert. To say, it sounds like his his philosophy is that it's much easier to convince the spiritual side of something than the physical side of it. Well, his is yeah, and and he's but but he's saying that you can like there there are things that you can do physically to uh, facilitate that. Yeah, and it's important to note that this is an like an early version of atomic theory, right? Like yeah. the idea that everything yeah. has these building blocks mm-hmm. that they can be both reduced down to and can be uh, manipulated at that level. Obviously, it's it's missing the point yeah, on like a lot is. of axes, but mm-hmm. it, like that that whole building block uh, theory of matter is really important to chemistry. Could say it's essential. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 up there, and this is where the philosopher's stone enter, enters the picture. Okay, Jabir believed that the philosopher's stone was a hypothetical substance that could basically flawlessly, like like uh, effortlessly, convince matter to invert its properties. Okay. And this mattered to him on a chemical level, sure. But the reason it mattered more to him was that that meant it could invert lifelessness into life. Okay, which is where we get the elixir of life stuff. Yes. Okay. So a lot of the work that he ended up doing was trying to create this philosopher's stone that could complete this transmutation. Again, not because he wanted piles of gold, but because he believed that the act of creating life was a an avenue for spiritual exaltation and and ultimately a, a better soul mm-hmm. really is, is yeah. what it comes down to right and yes it could help cure diseases yes it could make him wealthy but that's not the point those are no. means to side effects yeah yeah and one of the most uh fundamental kind of 
contradictions in alchemy is that every time you get close to something that sounds a lot like science, yeah. something else comes along that is like just wildly out there, right? <laughs> okay. Um, a lot of his experiments, even though he went ahead and created a, a, a proto-scientific method, mm-hmm. and even though he tried to um, isolate variables and all of this stuff, a lot of his work ended up being based on, rather than like observation and a, and a really um, methodical uh, experimental model, he invented a system of numerology based on the Arabic names for these various substances and again specifically based on like the seven metals right yes and so he spent a lot of time trying to figure out um it's it's going to end up sounding a lot like kabbalah kabbalah yeah yeah uh but i mean kabbalah is hardly the first system to do things like this but he would end up looking for signs in the names of these elements that would hint towards the ways in which they would they would uh relate to each other yeah but remember like even though that sounds like it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever yeah all of this is based on that Atomic initial theory. premise mm. of the universe having an order to it, mm-hmm. of having an ability to sort itself out, and of having a deeper meaning, as well as the creator having the signature that is pasted across the universe, uh, as above, so below, both in the stars and in yeah. the fundamental nature of matter. That if you uh, have, the, if you have the, the, the inclination and the tools that you can find these secrets hidden in everyday <laughs> objects. Exactly. Obviously, Jabir wouldn't end up finding any sort of philosopher's stone, or if he did, he sure didn't tell anybody about it. I'm kind of curious um, what he was looking for. Like, was he trying to create it through experimentation? Because wouldn't that be something impure by default? Or was he trying to derive it from something? Because what I'm wondering is if the thought is that this is like one of these hidden signatures as well. Like, it's a substance that is extant on Earth that is somehow even like... We've discovered gold. We know what that is. We think that's super pure. But what's even rarer is Philosopher's Stone, which you can find on these deep quarries, etc. No, no, no. This wasn't <laughs> something that he thought he could find anyway. This isn't something that he necessarily thought was... This isn't even necessarily a physical thing. Okay. That's the that's the problem with the Philosopher's Stone is it's not... It's not the rock that Harry Potter puts in his pocket. No, right? but when, like, you're, when, you're rela- when you're calling it a substance, that's what I think. <laughs> right, but again, there's... And, and and that's a that's an issue with language more than it is with with his pursuit of it. A substance can be spiritual in nature, okay. and that is not contradictory to someone practicing alchemy. I see. Right? Like none of this stuff is contradictory. It exists together, all of it in the same space at the same time. And our perception of the the, the physical world is a corruption of physicality. I see. I see. So, right. So, so the physical. Okay. The key to the philosopher's stone. Uh-huh. And, and here it is. I'll break it down for you yes. forever and always. Cool. Here's what the Philosopher's Stone is. Remember we talked about the four elements being four aspects of a single substance? Yes. And that it doesn't work because each of those uh, elements has two natures. Mm-hmm. And that this kind of original Ur element yeah. has all four natures at the same time, sure. right? Which is a contradiction, but also something that can only exist in a spiritually pure form. If you have this substance, be it physical or spiritual, that has all four natures, mm-hmm. if you balance out that math, yeah, th- its its four naturedness, its ascendant, <laughs> will act like uh, conduit you know, for everything. No, no, no. It'll act like imagine you're balancing a math math equation, right? Yeah, and it's got to balance to zero each time. Yes, right. If you put too much on one side Mm -hmm. it's not going to balance to zero it's going to flip to a negative right it's going to flip to a negative number that's what he's trying to do 
chemically. Oh. So okay. if you have something that's hot and wet, well, no, sorry, if you have something that's cold and dry like lead, yeah. and you try to balance it with something that has hot, cold, wet, dry, you're going to end up with something that's hot I see. and wet, Yeah. which is gold. Which is gold. Right? Whether he thinks that is a thing that he can hold in his hand, yes. or if it is a... A, a level award of some kind. Yeah, a level, a level of spiritual uh, understanding mm-hmm. and 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 power that he needs to achieve. It doesn't really matter because it's something that, like zero, isn't a positive or a negative. It yeah. sits on the border between these two worlds. Wow. This is mercurial transcendence. Gotcha. And maybe the philosopher's stone is physical. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's both at the same time. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know. He is hypothesizing on the square root of negative one, but for chemistry. Yes. And Ooh. the Philosopher's Stone is the this thing. number of chemistry. The Philosopher's Stone is this imaginary number that he doesn't know where it exists or how it exists. But if it exists, yeah. he can do all of this work that he can't if it doesn't. Okay. And he knows that it's true, just like with an imaginary number. He knows that it's true. It's got to be true even though he can't yeah. physically express it or spiritually express it. It's the final answer. He can conquer the physical and spiritual worlds. Yes. He can do anything he wants to do if exactly. he has this unattainable thing. Does any of this make any sense it whatsoever? Does. It does. I feel like well, I'm going I mean, crazy. It does as much as it can. <laughs> sure, exactly. Okay. Because, like, again, I've been living in this a little bit lately. <laughs> yeah. Because it does. It, it gets in your head a little bit. And it's, it's fascinating, <laughs> even though... Even though it's not real, it's not real. Yeah. I know this isn't real. I know this isn't a thing that can exist. But it's a huge concept. It's a big concept, and it it affects it affects so much more than just tra- changing one metal to another metal. Mm. Changing one metal to another metal is step one. Yeah, that is barely getting off the Base ground. level, but it is also an essential level, right? Mm-hmm. Like it matters so much, and they work so hard to make it happen. And of course, you've got guys who are saying that they made it happen, even though they didn't. Sometimes that's because they're trying to fool other people. But sometimes it's because you can't talk about the rest of it conceptually without at least assuming that first step is a success. How frustrating must it be to be an alchemist and to have like these parlor tricks, basically, that you can do by comparison to have this monumental task that you can't even do the first step of? Exactly. (laughs) Right. But... Again, this isn't this isn't a get rich quick scheme. This is the salvation of humanity. No, I know. That's this what I'm saying. Is... They've got this monumental impossible task. Yeah. The first step can't even be done. Yeah. And they're sort of dabbling with these earthly concerns. The, the the reason I say it that way though is that they're not I I don't know. I can't I can't speak to the motivations or to the um uh disappointments of, of people who are who are long since gone, but there is the, the flip side of all of this is that there is a there, there is a sense of purpose mm-hmm. in all of this that matters so much more than some of the setbacks that they're experiencing on a day to day that they see themselves as adding to a body of knowledge that will Noble work. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, well, again, this is our the, goal as a species. It's, it, they call it the magnum opus. Yeah. It's the great work that, you know, they're, they're seeing that this as not only important, but the most important mm-hmm. It is literally the most important thing that you could do. And even if you can't make lead into gold, keep trying. Because whoever gets it, yeah. that just gets us that much closer. Right. Okay. I don't know. It's it's single-minded in a in a really... It's definitely a zealotry. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, with the noblest of intentions. <laughs> Jabir ends up adding two new elements to the, um, the classic five. Oh, yeah? Yep. Bold. <laughs> but his reasoning behind it mm-hmm. isn't completely... 
unfounded. No, not at all, because I can imagine so. I mean, the brings, base five is unfounded. <laughs> it brings him up to seven. Yeah, which matches the seven uh, classic planets Metal. and the seven classic metals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sure, why not? Yeah, the two that he adds are. Uh, uh, sulfur and mercury, and these aren't like literally like the chemical or elemental self sulfur. Did we already and mercury. have a mercury? Hmm? Did we already have mercury? No, that's classical metals, not elements. Oh, I see. Okay, yep. gotcha. No, I know it gets confusing because elemental mercury isn't the same as our elemental mercury, which is his metal mercury. So, like those those other kind of relationships between you know fire being hot and dry. Yes. Sulfur is the element of. Uh, combustibility okay and mercury is the element of um sort of ideal metal basically so uh, metallicness Mm -hmm. because when you look at mercury it's infinitely ductile and it's infinitely like you know it's 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 so there's this idea that gold like if if you look at the malleability of the uh, of the metals it goes on a bell curve right like the stuff in the middle is the most fragile the most uh, right brittle brittle thank you uh of the metals so there's something about metal that the more noble it gets the more malleable it gets therefore there must be something about mercury which is base but also incredibly malleable right that is that makes it an ideal metal and so he just takes the sort of four square mm-hmm. that the original elements give you and and adds to it and makes the makes all of the metals uh or gives all of the metals uh more aspects okay and he sees this as a way to more accurately describe their natures so does he go as as far as to then associate all of those with like the planets and the yeah. gods and everything like that has been the set of sevens that have already existed? And I mean, not so much the gods anymore, but certainly the planets, because yeah. I, I mean, Jabir is, is devoutly Muslim. Yeah, okay. It's, it's yeah, important okay. to remember yeah. he's working in that framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the creator that he's thinking of is God within the, the framework of, of Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, no, he's not so much associating these with, uh, yeah. you know, Hermes Jupiter. and stuff. <laughs> it's It's not quite how that works for him right. but also his the, the the type of of secrecy that he's working under isn't the same type of secrecy that the greeks would have been working under it's still secret uh-huh. knowledge it's just coded differently because oh, he's see. he's in a different society in a different culture and has a different religion than most people did so the coding kind of breaks down there it changes yeah it certainly changes you get a lot of stuff where stories that are being told kind of change into relationships between animals Oh, which is okay. interesting, but um, again, the, the codes are st- still there. I don't want to make it sound like he's the only one that did any work on all of this stuff, but he was so influential that a lot of the stuff that's going to come after him is kind of incremental. Okay. And for several centuries, alchemists would continue to uh, work on trying to purify metals and, and other uh, substances using the methods that Jabir laid out. Um, they would continue trying to reconcile their faith with the tenets of uh, alchemy, which is no mean feat. Mm-hmm. They would continue working on medicine, but trying to fit it into an alchemic framework. Right. And a lot of the scientific revolution that happens in the Islamic world that we talk about is fundamentally alchemical, whether or not it is explicitly directly alchemical or not. Oh. Uh, a lot of the work is, even if someone doesn't identify as uh, an alchemist, isn't inducted into this secret knowledge, is working off of a basis that is laid down by alchemists and without necessarily understanding uh, the the spiritual implications of things mm-hmm. is working off of the pseudoscientific knowledge that is presented by those spiritual that, implications. That foundation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's how you get thousands of years of medical knowledge that is is yeah. based in in Aristotelian elementalism. Like it, that's how you that's how you get there because perpetuated by millions of people over yeah hundreds of years absolutely yeah 
um, and often by the most uh, educated people within the society. Oh, of course, yeah. And and so you have this inf- this interesting situation where you you literally have the elite inducted into <laughs> a secret society with secret knowledge that is only allowing parts of it to uh, perpetuate throughout the society, while keeping other aspects of it to themselves uh, for what they see as their own good. Yeah, uh, noble work. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting stuff. Yeah. And then in 1144, a man named Robert of Chester completes the translation of one of Jubir's books, the Book of the Composition of Alchemy okay. into Latin. Mm-hmm. There was this strange, uh, I shouldn't say strange, it makes perfect sense, but there's quite a bit of cultural crossover in Spain in this point, at this point in time. Okay. And all of these works that were thought lost in the West uh, of Europe start creeping back into Western or into European society through the circuitous route of the Byzantine Empire to these various Arab empires, and then translated into Latin right. through European scholars. And they begin rediscovering the classical world. And so, uh, yeah, once again, Europe starts getting... Interested. Interested in alchemy. Yeah. Um, I think this is a really good spot to uh, stop. We went over some... We went over some stuff today, some man. Heavy stuff. And uh, wrong. <laughs> when we, and when we come back uh, next time, we'll talk about some of the more uh, familiar alchemical stuff. We'll talk about some famous alchemists, and we'll talk about uh, what we can discern of their views on not only science but spiritualism and the you know, existentialism and all these crazy things uh, from from the writings they left behind. Yeah, it's a much bigger topic than I was expecting, but I'm super right. <laughs> Hey man, welcome to HI101. Alchemy is a conceptually dense subject, which is perhaps why it's often overlooked or oversimplified. And in turn, that means we didn't really cover that much ground temporally speaking. Uh, But hopefully we've gained a clearer understanding of how the subject ties into almost every aspect of educated life in the first millennium. Next time, now that we've got all that down, we'll really get going with the expansion of the discipline alongside growing heretical activity in Europe and its flourishing alongside the Enlightenment until it finally begins to fade against the rise of the scientific revolution. That episode should be up November 15th. Since HI101's format can result in some factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections I post for each show there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed on there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. You can also reach me on Facebook at facebook.com slash hi101podcast, on Twitter at hi101podcast, or by email at contact at hi101.ca. It doesn't just have to be about corrections. I look forward to hearing from listeners for any reason and respond when I can. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, you should start looking for more information yourself. No matter how much you enjoy the show, I promise you'll find even more good stuff out there. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101.